the same uh how's life treating you life is great are you tired i am tired but i <laughs> feel blessed yeah in my tiredness that's good yeah um how was uh the last two years being on city council it's been a wild ride has it yeah it's it's been good it's been hard um there have been real moments of joy when our council can come together and craft policy and, you know, moments of real tension and, and discomfort, which is part of it all. Yeah. Well, you know, let's just dive into that yeah. because it's, it's, a, it's, it's a very uh, prevalent issue in, in our city and county after 2020, after COVID, mm -hmm. after Trump, after all kinds of stuff. I think things are more out in the open where before we were trying to hide behind the veil and just be okay with it being there as long as we didn't see it. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, let's just start out with that question. Yeah. Um, where are we at? The city is very divided politically. How do you plan to bring us together to help usher in the new Santa Cruz? Yeah. Great, great question. I mean, this is something I've done in my professional work as a facilitator, as a community organizer, is to bring in different perspectives, divisive sometimes perspectives, and um, try to find a middle ground. Um, and I've been, I think, somewhat successful in doing that on city council. I was called and named the consensus builder by the Santa Cruz Sentinel uh, editorial board just a few months into being an office. I think the biggest thing is that people, everyone wants to be heard. Mm. Um, I've been canvassing, of course, as a candidate for supervisor, and I knock on people's doors who have opposing views than I do on a number of issues. Mm. And I've had people kind of just, you know, go off and yell at me, and, and I'm not like I'm taking it, but I'm standing there and listening deeply. I'm not interrupting, I'm listening deeply. And many, many occasions people were like, wow, you just, you just, really heard me. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to agree, but I'm listening because I want to take parts of what they have to say and see how it can be integrated and how we move forward. <clears throat> I don't have all the answers. You don't have all the answers. Mm -hmm. So I think to address divisiveness, one, people need to be heard. Um, two, we, we can, we can always find one common ground one piece of what our vision is, our bigger picture vision for the community. And so we start from that space, we create space to be for people to be heard, and we move from there. 
that's how I've done it in my professional career. That's how I've been doing it as a city council member and now as a candidate for supervisor. Does it get really emotional and stressful being in the city council, being in front of people, getting into these stressful conversations? Like, how do you navigate that and how do you stay calm through it yeah. and focus? And, you know, I know when I get into really tense, stressful situations, I mean, my mind just starts flying. Mm -hmm. And you guys are sitting there in front of people and you have to keep your cool, you know? And, and you have to try to keep uh, moving forward, yeah. whether you're in a dispute or not. Mm -hmm. So what is your go-to tactic for staying even keeled in those situations? Yeah, it's absolutely stressful in many occasions that people come and they're really upset. I mean, for a couple of things from me. People are upset because they're committed to something. So to step back from myself, to try to not take it personally. Now, that doesn't always happen. I'm human. Sometimes yeah. I do take it personally and then I go home and I have to like figure out some ways to, you know, come down from that. But when possible, I step out and think about like, why are they so upset? What is the commitment behind their complaint? There is some commitment there. So if I can see that, if I can connect to that, then it's not about me. Mm. It's about really their commitment to the community and how we get there may be different. So that's one thing that I do. Um, I wear my grandpa grandmother's jewelry to city council. I wear um, no way. I wear one grandmother's bracelet and one grandmother's ring, so I have their presence and energy with me. I really believe that that you know that works for me. Yeah. Um, and then I, I ground myself in why I am there. Like, why am I sitting here? <laughs> well, you know, that that's a great segue into something that, you know, I've really thought about and, and something I've really questioned about what what's going on with the way that you're moving in the city council and, and only being there for two years and mm -hmm. being in the political arena and now jumping into being a, a supervisor. And, you know, just to you know, just be upfront, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, do, do the voters put their trust in somebody that's willing to, to move, yeah. you know, so quickly and what are your motives behind that? Mm -hmm. And is, is, is being like a, a politician, was that a, a planned career path for you? No, definitely not. Um, a lot of parts to that question. I know, so, I'm sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> I start going and I just That's go. great. That's great. <laughs> Um, so I didn't see myself as a politician. I saw myself as someone who is in the community. I see myself as someone who's in the community getting the work done to make our community healthier. Ultimately, community well-being is the big picture, like, impact that I wish to see in our community, right? I've had a lot of entry points in doing that as a community organizer, as a grant writer, as a facilitator, someone who does strategic planning, leadership trainings. Um, the reason, I'll start with why I ran for city council to begin with. When COVID hit and I was invited to join the county emergency response team to help unhoused youth and young adults get find shelter in place, I was really inspired. I saw the city and the county and nonprofit and community members, neighbors come together. In two weeks, we stood up congregate shelter for over 30 youth. Mm -hmm. And then within just a month and a half, we had trailers donated from the state and we had a, a real transitional housing program for youth and young adults. Uh, so you saw action and it actually taking shape and forming. So it was a right. huge influence into your candidacy it, initially. Absolutely. And it, it really inspired me. And I thought, you know, I could really 
there's going to be doors that are opening and I want to sit in a seat where I can help shape our community well-being efforts. Um, now, the, back to your original question around why then shift to the supervisor role, my background in public health, I have a master's in social work with an emphasis in public policy and mental health. My background, my educational background, my over two decades of experience in the field here in this community really lend itself to what the supervisors do, and that is a huge part of it is oversight of health and human services, mental health, substance abuse, homelessness, um, the jails, probation, child welfare. That is under the purview of the supervisors, and they have a billion-dollar budget where they see where things get allocated. So I really know that I can put my background experience to scale at the county level from that seat. I'm doing great work on the city council. I just know I can serve my community better and more at the supervisor level. Mm. It's not a career move for me. People have asked, so what next? Are you going to go into assembly or do something at the state? Exactly and, where I was, you know, are, yeah. are, 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 is that your plan to keep moving up the political ladder? That's not my plan. Now, I will say, you never know what doors open in life, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. but this is where the, this is where the juice is. This is where the work is. This is where, this is where my community is. Um, I'm not going anywhere. Knock on wood. <laughs> uh, I've been here since 95, mostly, with a few years in San Francisco. I'm raising my two boys here. This is my home. This is my community. Rooted, yeah. I, don't, I don't see this as a, okay, now this, now what next, right? Now, in terms of only two years on the city council, no one anticipated that Supervisor Ryan Coonerty was going to step down and not run again. He's been in the seat for eight years. His father was in the seat for eight years before that. So it's, it's a bit of a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity where there's no incumbent and you can run for the position. So, so um, this is more of a, a walking through the door of opportunity for you yeah. at, at the right time, and it's just the time it's at. It's the time it's at. Okay. Um, and I have a lot of experience in crafting policy. I've, I've done policy consulting for the last decade with our supervisors and with each city, actually, Scotts Valley, Watsonville, Santa Cruz, Capitola. So I have the experience. Um, I just have sat in the elected official seat for only two years. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, another question, I, I like that you brought up, you know, your master's degree and what it's in. And I, I don't think I knew that, oh. where, where it was at. And, and, you know, we have talked lightly over text message or whatever about, you know, the homeless situation that we have mm -hmm. in, in our, you know, it's not just here, it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. So let's not beat up Santa Cruz and just say it's just here. It is everywhere, right? Yeah. But, you know, a, a, a huge question I have for everybody on the city council and everybody running and everybody that's part of this community is... You know, if, if you haven't been in the situation that these people are in, then how do you decide the policies that, mm. you know, will work best for these people? You know, and, and the reason I ask that is because I was strung out on meth for five years, mm -hmm. you know, and it was mm -hmm. a really bad run. A lot of bad things happened, yeah. you know, and it was traumatic. And, you know, I had to climb myself out of that addiction and re- yeah rebuild my life and I actually have experience in the trenches. Yeah. Now when I see people saying what people are and what's the best for these people and this and that, I kind of get a little it's it's a little well how do you know? Have you been in that situation? Mm -hmm. How do you know what it's like to sleep in your car for, you know, mm -hmm. 3 months or not have a place to sleep some nights and you know, sometimes drugs is is a way to get out of that reality and just be able to face the elements at the at the very least. 
you know, I was blessed in the fact that I was always kind of able to make money when I needed to. And I never got to that point, you know, but a lot of people aren't as fortunate as I was in that mm -hmm, situation. Mm -hmm. So how do you guys make policies? Mm -hmm. You know, I, 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 it sounds like you have some insight to it with your degree, mm -hmm. but if you don't, you know, have, haven't had the actual experience, mm -hmm. how do you know what the right policy is to make? Yeah. Great, great question. I have not had that actual experience. I've had the privilege to have housing and have shelter and be in, in safe safe spaces really all my life. Even when we were refugees in Turkey, it never felt unsafe. There was some housing insecurity, but it was n not at all the same as, as what our unhoused community members are experiencing. Um, I think it's important to go to people who have had that experience, either currently experiencing it or have had lived experience. Um, I, I shared a little bit about the work that I've done on youth and young adult homelessness. So we, in this, I co-authored a grant. It was a very competitive federal grant. We were one in 10 across the nation to get awarded. Um, then that led to a year-long strategic planning process. That process was co-led with youth with lived experience. So I would meet with the youth with lived experience. We would create the agendas together. We would facilitate together. So these are people that were actually in the trenches, had been through it. And Either currently or had in the past. Okay. Exactly. Okay. And so that after that year-long process, we were tasked with creating a strategic plan that says these are the strategies we want to implement in our community. That strategic plan had to be approved by our youth advisory group, all of whom had, had lived experience. And then ultimately, they selected the organizations that were going to get funded. And then oh, wow, okay. ultimately, those organizations that got funded, um, I don't know how it's unfolding now, but I, was, I launched the implementation. And they had to, the organizations had to meet with the youth with lived experience at least monthly to give a check-in of like, this is how it's going. What are your insights? What needs to change? So I 100% agree that um, I, as an elected official, do not know and do not have the experience of someone who's been unhoused. Um, so it's important to maintain communication and understand their perspectives. It's also important to talk to community members who are housed, um, who are being impacted by unmanaged encampments, by um, RV parking in neighborhoods. So it's, you know, you got to hear how people are impacted from all sides. Right. Well, you know, I'm going to segue into a yeah. viewer question yeah, sure. uh, by Keely Sanders. Mm -hmm. uh, I would love to hear how they are going to address the homeless unhoused situation. Mm -hmm. What resources can we offer to get these individuals jobs and skills to provide for themselves instead mm -hmm. of allowing them to park wherever they want to sleep and provide needles to maintain their drug addiction. Mm -hmm. And let me just put the second part of this question out. Uh, with the current fentanyl situation, what are we doing mm -hmm. to educate people about Narcan and having it readily available in case someone is potentially overdosing? Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. So yeah. I'll start with the first part. Um, on the city council, I have supported two policies that have been very contentious. One is to not allow for unmanaged encampments in mm. our open spaces and outdoor spaces. Um, my commitment though was and has been that we can only do that if we're providing alternative shelter, which is what the city council, five of us council members um, ultimately approved and voted on. And in eight months, we've stood up three different shelter sites we have safely housed 
temporarily housed 150 people was the last count I got. And when was that count? Maybe two, three weeks ago. Okay. So more now. And um, we have permanently housed, I believe, 12 people. Now that might, that is a small number compared to 150, but it's 12 more than had been housed before. Sure. Um, the other policy. Sorry, sorry. Is it, are they housed in the city or in the county? Or? In the county. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the shelters are in the city. Okay. And that's actually something that I want to do as a supervisor. The city of Santa Cruz has really borne the burden of um, providing shelter and services. And, for and the whole county. For the whole county. And I think that I know that we can work across our county to um, meet the needs of the unhoused in our neighborhoods. Yeah. The second, can I keep going? Please the do. Second, yeah, yeah. The second ordinance, which was another contentious one, is another contentious one, is um, RV parking. Um and, and let me just actually step back and say around the encampment stuff, there had been a year-long effort with the community advisory. There was a community advisory group that was created by the then council to engage it with people with lived experience and talk about what are policies that we can put forward. So we took some of what had been developed from the, that community meeting as well as another community effort a couple of years before that yeah. that outlined some strategies. Um, so community engagement and community process is really, really important. And at some point, we need to step into action because continuing to use community engagement as a crutch um, is just that. It's just yeah. a crutch because yeah. we're afraid to, to take a vote or take action on something that's really hard. Well, let me, I want to pepper this in with, with the two-part question we got here. But my friend Alejandro, who was on the show that does all the art pieces for the guests that come on, he actually works with the unhoused community. Mm -hmm. And one of the solutions that he had come up with, because um, he's out in the field mm -hmm. every day, yeah. is having more... Uh, contained in smaller camps, so they're more manageable. What yeah. do you? What? How do you feel about that idea? The, the, I mean, that's essentially what we're doing as a city. So, um, twelve twenty River Street is one of the managed encampments that managed camps, transitional mm -hmm. shelter managed camps. That the city has um, stood up, and it's about 40, 40 uh, tents. Yeah. Um, and then the one at the Armory, I believe, the outdoor one is about sixty tents. But it's got to be, and, and the, I should say the 1220 River Street is sort of a, a hybrid. It's it's self-managed with some oversight with city staff. And and how is that working out with really that? Really well. Okay. It's working out really well. Is it? Do you think that's because the people don't feel like it's overbearing and they have somebody watching them all the time? That, that sounds like a little, I mean, from the outside looking in, it sounds like it may be a little uncomfortable if you have quote-unquote security guards walking around and you it's know it's not kinda... security guards yeah it's, yeah, yeah it's city it's city outreach staff and case managers okay yeah um i mean there are rules and regulations to abide by as as we have in society sure <laughs> right i mean in order to maintain a healthy community with a broad definition of healthy we each have to abide by certain rules and standards right sure and so um I think because of some of the challenges around substance abuse and mental health, and I have a lot to say about that, it's difficult for people to do that. Um, and so they find themselves wanting to live outside of any confines of rules and regulations because it's challenging for them to meet those rules and regulations, not because they're bad people, because they're suffering. Yeah.
from yeah. these these diseases, right? Yeah. Well, and traumatic pasts, and exactly. you know, there's so so many things. You know, a lot of those people out, that are out on the streets, <clears throat> they come from <clears throat> traumatic situations, from right. families, abuse, uh, drugs, alcoholism. You know, and and it's always it's only a fraction, a sliver of people that make it out of of those uh, traumatic family situations. You right. know, and and I'm blessed to be one of those people. Yeah. You know, I, I come from uh, heroin. I come from yeah. alcoholism. You know, I come from uh, gang gang member stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and uh, I was blessed to make it out. You know, but. I'm also, you know, pretty stable in my 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 mental, you know, and and I, I I push. I have a lot of discipline and motivation. And now that I'm a father and a husband, I have a lot more to push for. Yeah. Um. So it's it can be a really hard, stressful thing. Uh, do you want to address part two about the fentanyl situation? Well, I'll, I'll get to. I- I'll talk about the fentanyl, which I don't have a good answer for, but okay, I, want, okay. I want to talk um, a little bit about the substance abuse and mental health, which, which is related to what you're talking about yeah. here. You know, we've had a lot of um, systems change at federal and state level that I, I think have landed us where we are. So we had deinstitutionalization decades ago where mental hospitals were closed down. And then it became the responsibility of local communities to address those needs. Well, guess what happened? People with mental health disorders ended up in our prison system, right? So then we had criminal justice reform where... Um, Super unhealthy place for those people to oh, be as well. I mean, 100%. that's just not the right place for those people to Absolutely. be Absolutely. So, but then we had criminal justice reform about a decade or 15 years ago. And um, so that's the non-non-non, right? Non-violent, non I, I, forget, I forget it now, but it's okay. it, people who've had drug offenses, people who are um, not dangerous and have mental health challenges but not dangerous, they're no longer in the prison system. It's the local jails that have to address their needs. So I'm totally behind that policy concept. But then what? What happens in our local communities? Once again, the burden is put on our local communities without any resources, without any capacity building. But shouldn't the local community be responsible for the local community? Absolutely, but we need the resources from federal and state government to be able to do so. But couldn't we develop programs that put these people in positions where, you know, like Keely is saying, mm-hmm. can, can, you know, they can sustain their self, even if it's with extra help. You yeah. know what I mean? If, you know, I had my buddy from uh, Evan Morrison from The Free Guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, I know him. Great guy. Yeah. Um, and, and what he said, one of the most prevalent things that he said on the show was, if I can be homeless, that means you can be homeless. That yep. means this person can be yeah. homeless. And we all need to like, yeah. we need to take responsibility for our own communities instead right. of pushing the blame out to the state or the federal or the this or the that. And it's it's very yeah. obvious that help's not coming. Well, so, so what do we do yeah. in the meantime? The help is going to come. And I'll tell you. I'll tell you why. Like I said, I... I, there's money out there. As a grant writer, I know that, and I brought it into our community. Like I said, we got the, that federal grant. After we got that federal grant, all of a sudden, the state, several different state grants and several different other federal grants, they wanted to invest in us. And in three years, in three years, we saw a difference. Youth and young adults made up 30% of our homeless count in 2019. The latest number that came out just a month or so ago, we've seen a 61% decrease. Wow. So the money is there, the support can come, and it's not laying blame. It's how do we deepen our partnership so that we can be most effective. So getting back to, I'm, I'm going to answer your question, but getting yeah. back to um, 
like criminal justice reform and now what's unfolded is is and and let me just say that homelessness there's a whole spectrum absolutely right? agreed because like you said you can become homeless and i can become homeless there's a whole spectrum but what we see as street homelessness what we see in the benchlands is unmet mental health and substance abuse needs that has been um, really part of it as a result of these systemic changes that that were made well-intended uh, policies that have had the consequences of then local communities not being left with resources and not knowing what to do. So what do we have? We have the bench lands, right? We can absolutely do better, and it's all of our responsibilities. There's no doing this. That's what hasn't worked, right? The city of Santa Cruz saying, well, the county needs to do more, and the county saying, well, it's in the city, and that hasn't worked. So since the passing of these two ordinances, the RV and the camping ordinance, we've come together in a much... Um, deeper and effective way. We, I mean the city and the county, and they are now helping with case management in the benchlands. They are now helping with case management and doing rounds at these different shelters that we have. Um, and that's just a drop in the bucket, right? There needs to be more across the county and there needs to be more really regionally. So it's not laying blame, but it's thinking you know, about how we partner differently sure but you know it, it a lot of a lot of responsibility are put on the wrong people and in the wrong places which mm -hmm. is another question a viewer question that i want to segue into sure. with this and you know the the police they're not here to be mental health officers that's they're right. not here to you know take care of somebody that's having a schizophrenic schizophrenic breakdown um and and neither are our uh, uh city workers that's right. Yeah. You know, and, you know, a, a lot of responsibility is laid on these people. I mean, I have my buddy Akko on here who is a city worker and he, he cleans the parks and mm -hmm. rec areas. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the stuff he's had to deal with just on, you know, yeah. that home front has been, I'm sure, excruciating. Mm -hmm. And, you know, especially when you're not trained for that. Right. You know, the police officers, they're going out every day, so I'm sure they're getting desensitized to it in some shape or form, or they're gaining knowledge about mm -hmm. how to, you know, come up to these situations and work on them. But how do we push that responsibility kind of onto a city worker, yeah. you know? And, and I want to I wanna use this to segue into this question, who was asked by Santa Cruz resident Jazz, what is the city council doing mm -hmm. to address the concerns of city workers? Many who have ha uh, many of who have expressed they mm -hmm. can't afford to live in the city they work for. Yeah. Does it f seem fair that Santa Cruz city workers make considerably less than surrounding areas? Yeah, no, that's great. And I've been talking to city workers. Um, we are in the middle of uh, negotiating contracts, and so I've been meeting with city workers and talking to. Well, city that's workers. really good to hear. I, I, um, I just want you to know that that's good to hear because these people are out busting their butts that's right and they deserve fair compensation right they deserve absolutely um so there's a lot i can't share because we have closed session policies sure. right sure but what i can share is that um in santa cruz in general our cost of living is way higher than what we are able to to provide in wages and that that goes to like state formulas that we don't necessarily locally have control over, but we need to push for reform at the state level. I don't have enough knowledge on that to, to speak to it. And that does not mean that we can't push um, and advocate to um, responsibly, because you don't, you know, we can um, raise wages and then we'll have to fire people. 
you know what I mean? Like we have to do it in a way that will allow the city to function and allow the budget not to go bankrupt. So how can we push to have responsible increase in wages? But let me, let, I got to stop you because yeah. everything seems to keep going back to, to there's no money. There's no money. There's no money. There's no money. Mm -hmm. But you clearly said there is money out there. So how, yeah. what do we do to, there's ways to get around money issues and not yeah. in every situation, definitely right. not. In some situations, you just flat out need the money to do it. Well, yeah. I, th I mean, I think the other thing is that we create a community that is livable. I mean, it's it's absolutely wages, but it's also is there childcare and is there affordable childcare? Is there is there access to these city workers' um, children having uh, after school programming? Is right? there? Is there? Is there any of that? Yeah, there is. And actually, myself and some council members have pushed to bring forward the children's fund, which. Um, we had the Children's Fund, but now it was voted in a year ago by, by the voters. 20% of cannabis funds gets put into investing in the children and youth in our community. And it provides for childcare, it provides for after-school programming, and it provides for scholarships for youth in our community who can't afford these programs otherwise. Um, so that's one piece of it. And then housing, right? Afford to live here was part of that question. Yes. Um, what are we doing to build affordable housing? And and I will say I've worked really hard on that issue. Well, that's another thing. Do we need to build more or do we just need to restructure what's already here? Because there's so many places that have, you know, places they can make granny units or already have granny units. And, you know, this state, as well as this city, mm -hmm. it just tax and tax and tax and tax and tax. So that's where I'm, I guess that's where I'm getting confused why all the, this, you know, it just seems like it keeps going back to money. Uh -huh. It keeps going back to money and it's coming out of our pockets, but there's money out there. Is mm -hmm. that, does that mean there's money in our pockets <laughs> to give to the state and to the city and to the yeah. county to keep these things going and keep everything going? Because if that keeps happening, I mean... I, you know, how we're all going to be homeless. There is going to be no money. And then the 1%, right. it's just going to be the 1% because right. the middle class is almost gone. That's right. You yeah. know, it's, yeah. it's, there's rich and there's poor almost now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or broke, poor is a state of mind. So I, I like saying broke instead. Mm. Uh, but, you know, it, it, if, if the issue is always money, you know, how do mm -hmm. we circumvent that? And mm. how do we start finding solutions where we're taking care of ourselves instead of, can yeah. I can I have more, sir? Please. Yeah. Oh well, you know we deserve it, and this is why, and blah 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 blah. What do we do to start sustaining ourselves mm -hmm. instead of looking out? Right. You know, because that's that's you know the old saying, right? The biggest way to change the world is that's to change right. yourself. Yeah. So yeah. how do we generate our community to work for itself to yeah. sustain itself? So we're not worried about you know what's happening at the state level or the federal level and. You know, you, you know, I, I and know I know this, this is a little yeah. harsh, but using it as a cop out, you know? Yeah. And no, I, no. Well, I don't, I don't ever hear you as harsh. Okay. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and um, I, again, I, for me, it's not about laying blame or saying there's like the narrative of, of not enough, I think is what you're getting to. We use the narrative of not enough to say we can't do it. For me, it's about how to leverage and bring in partnership. Because we as a city, sure, I hear what you're saying about we need to take care of ourselves. But I mean, maybe this is just kind of like how I grew up in my background. Um, I can't just take care of myself, just me. Like it's it, for me, I'm part of a larger um, 
network of beings, right? Human beings, like just anything that exists. We're all connected. So it's, it's not how can you help me? It's how can we work together to make it better? So that's how I see it. It's not like, okay, the state come bail us out or the feds come bail us out. But we're all in this together. And you started out by saying, like, homelessness is not just a Santa Cruz problem. You're absolutely right. It's the United States. It's the West Coast. It's coastal communities. In some pockets of it, it gets more exacerbated because of, you know, where we live. But it's not a me problem. It's not a Santa Cruz problem. It's an us problem. So in order to address it, we need an us solution. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, is that the town of Santa or the city of Santa Cruz mm-hmm. cannot help the city of New York with their problems. And you know, you maybe keep- we can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's well, no. If we, if there we are conferences. You're right. Okay. Where <laughs> experts talk to each other. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that one. But you. But I. I think you. You see what I'm going with I the do. overall. You know what yeah, I mean? I it's, it's like this. Um, you know, the, the where I live right here, there's yeah. five houses, right? Mm-hmm. And if we started a community garden, we could all eat off that community garden. We wouldn't have to go to the grocery store anymore. Mm-hmm. Therefore, mm-hmm. we're sustaining ourselves. Mm-hmm. on that community garden. Yeah. We're not worried about having to make enough money to go to Safeway or Knob Hill to buy right. over, you know, way overpriced food that a lot of people aren't able to afford right now. And it's a domino effect. It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Although I did read some on the Wall Street Journal yesterday saying that, you know, inflation's starting to go down now. A lot of these... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, retailers, they have over, because of 2020 and the undersupply, they have over ordered and now all this stuff's coming in and that's why you're starting to see all these sales on the shelf. Mm-hmm. So now it sounds like we're, we're starting to get on the downturn of that. Mm-hmm. But when you've already overextended yourself for a certain yeah. amount of time, you know, you're, you're done. You, you can't, yeah. you're not going to make that uphill trend with everybody else because you've already spent your life savings on the last two years. Right. So it goes back to what I'm saying. And I think what Keeley was asking is mm-hmm. how do we get our town to start sustaining itself, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. I always feel like, especially being in, in, in the, you know, attic situation that I was in, mm-hmm. nobody was going to pull me out of it. I had to pull myself out of it. Not even my mom being Mm -hmm. heartbroken could change me. Mm -hmm. I had to surrender myself and then start looking for that help myself. But how do we put things in place so these Mm -hmm. people have a place to find the help that they need? Was there help when you started looking for it? That's that's what we need to work you know, on here. But here, here's what I, I you know, I'm again, I'm very fortunate. And I grew up in AA and NA. So I was dragged to these meetings when mm-hmm. I was 5, 10, yeah, 12 years old. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't stand it. So I didn't go that route sure. when I got clean, right? Again, it was all discipline. It's about uh-huh. me. Mm-hmm. I'm the only one that could take care of that. So I guess what I'm saying is like, you know, we're, we're not saying... Um, what can you do for me? I'm saying, what can I do for you? Mm-hmm. You know, so if we can change that mindset, yeah. we we will start helping each other because there's no higher purpose than being of service. That's right. So I how... think we might be saying the same thing, actually. Yeah, I think so. It is that um... I'm sensitive when it comes to money. So if I hear money, 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 that's all I start. Hearing. Yeah, no, I think it, I mean, it's it's conscious reciprocity is the term that that lands for me. It's when I'm supporting you, 
I'm benefiting. When you're supporting me, you're benefiting. Yeah. And it's not always just in the way of money. Um, I mean, the reality is many money does pay for some of these things, right? But it's, yeah, yeah. There's it's some the cases intent, you just need it. Yeah. It's the intent behind how we're working together. Right. Conscious reciprocity. That's the term. And, 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 and I do think it's important for the city of Santa Cruz to work with the other cities in the county and to work with the county and the county to work with the state and the state to work with the federal government and all of us to, you know. Yeah. And, and then also, I think it's important to, to, cro- to connect the dots across sectors. Like too often we're like, okay, the education system is doing this. The mental health system is doing this. Transportation is doing this. They're all connected, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So are we, how are we talking to each other? And are we connecting those dots? I mean, one thing that I've been paying attention to, I sit on the Metro board as a city council member, and the city and the county are revising their housing element, which means it'll dictate kind of how we will grow as a community in terms of infrastructure, housing infrastructure over the next decade, right? So are we putting those two things together? Are we putting transportation and housing together? Because we should be. Well, it doesn't seem like it after the whole rail trail meltdown. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, you know, it just seems like there was a lot of factors at play with that whole situation. And it seemed very beneficial to have the train go in, you know, and have people mm-hmm. from low income communities yeah. be able to come out this way and be able to work out here. And, yep. you know, with, you know, a lot of people don't have cars. You know, Mm -hmm. and a lot of people don't have a way to get from, let's say, Watsonville to Santa Cruz and Mm -hmm. back. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Agreed. And there's jobs out here that can be taken by those people, and rightly so, Mm -hmm. but they don't have the transportation or the means to get out here. And here we are sitting with nothing now, you know, and it could have been pushed through. And it just seems like there's just things that are just being pulled out from under, and it just seems like it's just in a... What do you mean here we are with nothing now? Sorry if you... Well, we don't have a train. We're not getting a train, right? Well, no. So Measure D failed. Measure D did fail. So we are going to um, the Regional Transportation Commission uh, last month or month before in August, I believe, approved a request for proposal to do an EIR to see how we can implement putting a train and a trail. So we are working on it. Oh, they're doing both. We are. We are. Oh, okay. Maybe I had that backwards with Measure D failing. Okay. okay, Yeah, I know. It's so confusing. There's just too there's new stuff every week, so I don't know totally. what's going on. No, ever. so we are, but we are moving <laughs> forward, and so that's another opportunity, okay. right? With the Regional Transportation Commission now moving forward in that direction, um, we have a new general manager at the Metro bus system. We are revising our housing element. Like, let's make sure that this is all coordinated, and this is all that we're connecting those dots. And I absolutely agree that housing and the transportation should go together. It's one and the absolutely. same, right? I mean, yeah. you, if you have a house that you need to provide for, then you need a transportation to get to the place where you provide for that house, you know, so that's a good thing. Let's transition a little bit. Do you think downtown Santa Cruz is healthy and successful? If not, what would you do to change that? We're working on it. (laughs) Um, It seems like more businesses are faltering than actually coming in down there. Yeah, no, it's not, it's not where we want it to be yet. Um, there's a couple things there. I mean, going back to um, the unhoused challenges that we have, so that makes it really challenging for businesses because um, sometimes folks camp out in front of doorways, and so when businesses open up, they have to address that. And if someone is is challenged with mental health disorder or um, they're coming off of a drug, it's it's really hard and un- often unsafe for business owners. 
So that's connected to working on getting people who are on the streets, off the streets and into safe shelter. Um, and then, of course, coming out of the pandemic, businesses shut down because we were shut down. So the economic development department has been doing a couple of different things. One of them is these pop-up stores, and they provide um, they provide the space and they help with like getting permits and, and waive fees for some permits so these small businesses can get going. And that's been somewhat successful. I don't know the numbers, but I believe it's resulted in some businesses then staying down there. Um, and then, um, you know, there's a lot of change happening right now in downtown. You've, I don't know how often you go down there, but we're building housing, affordable housing. Uh, I think like 160 units right there where the metro um, station is. And then another 60 or so units by the Calvary Church. Which is a little, you know, I, 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 I think it's beautiful. I've seen the pictures of it. I think it's mm -hmm. going to be cool and, you know, it looks awesome, blah, 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 blah. But I'm also a little concerned with the congestion that's mm -hmm. going to be an already congested area, especially in the summertime. Yeah. And, you know, locals, you know, and people, residents of the city of Santa Cruz, it's already hard enough mm -hmm. to go to the store on a Saturday or a Sunday during the summer. And now we're adding this whole mega structure that is going to bring in tens of thousands of more people. Well, the, the idea is that it's housing for our community. It's housing for our teachers and our firefighters. What's, and but what's affordable housing nowadays? If somebody right now is unhoused... It's based on a formula. It's based on a formula that we have from the, from the feds, and um, it has different percentages. And so the the units I'm talking about are 100% affordable housing. For all of very them. low income, all of them. The Pacific Station North, Pacific Station South, the Calvary Church Project, and we'll see what happens with Measure O, but the Library Affordable Housing Project, that project brings in 124 units of affordable housing, all 100% affordable housing. I can get you the dollar amounts of what it translates to rent. I don't have that on me, but it's for the very low income, low income, those who are living on the streets, those who can't afford to live in our town. That's what that housing so is So these for. rich developers are going to come in, they're going to build this beautiful structure, and they're going to let people that are living in the benchlands up, apply to live in the, this housing. The projects that I just spoke about, yes. That's what they're. That's what they're for. They're 100% affordable housing. There are other projects that are coming into our town that are mixed, right? Um, with 20% inclusionary, so 20% of the units are 100% affordable. But then there's all these state laws with density bonus units, and so, so not all of the prod the. the Four projects I spoke about. They are all 100% affordable housing. There are other projects that are mixed. Um, and then to your question about congestion, I mean, the idea is to create walkable communities, and that's based on best practice that's happened across the world and here in the United States, yeah. right? You well, live, especially here, too. I yeah, mean, it's, yeah. You live, work, and play in the same area, and, yeah. and we can make that possible. So when you ask about downtown being sort of healthy and thriving and inviting, we're working on it. We're on our way there, but we're not quite there yet. And it's all of these pieces, right? Making sure our unhoused have shelter, making sure we have um, housing. Um, and we are building a garage as part of the library project because our surface lots where people typically park are now going to be gone. Um, oh, wow. Well, we're building on our surface lots. That's where all of these affordable housing units oh, are going. Oh, on at. Front Street, correct? Is that what you're talking about? On Front, on... Um, Street is that chestnut. Okay, yeah. That's yeah. where the church is, the red church. Yeah. Is. Yeah. Yeah. And Jack's Burger, right? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Okay, okay. And there's a new uh, proposal for a farmer's market area going yeah. down there too. Oh, yeah. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, so they are set to move behind Chianti's, and it'll be a permanent site, which um, is really exciting. Okay. A lot okay. of other communities have that. Um, if you could change one thing in District 3, what would it be and why? Oh, gosh. Only one thing. Only one. What's most important to you right now? That everyone has an opportunity to meet their full potential. That's a really big answer. Yeah. Um, and so that means different things to different people. It means people not living on the streets. It means people getting mental health treatment. It means people getting substance abuse treatment if they want it. It means kids being able to ride their bikes to school safely. It means seniors being able to use the park at San Lorenzo Park safely. I mean, it's... <laughs> it's hard yeah. to put in one thing. I mean, it goes back to community well-being and people being able to meet, meet their full potential. I mean, I have had the privilege to aspire to do that. You know, as an immigrant who moved here, I was eight years old. I didn't speak the language. I was giving the, the space, the environment to do that. And I want that for every one of our community members. Yeah. So one thing I would change... What do you think would be, you know, the most impactful thing for our, our District 3 community right now? Even if it's not something you would change, but the most impactful uh, uh, situation that could happen for the community. Mm -hmm. See, I should have sent you these questions before you came. No, it's, it's <laughs> a great question. It's hard to narrow it down to one because they're all so connected. Yeah. Um, I do think safe housing for everyone would be very impactful. And do you think it's more important to keep building or to restructure what's already there? We have to do both. We have to make it, we have to make building of ADUs, as you were mentioning ADUs, streamlined and affordable. Um, and we have to build up in certain areas of our community. But we've been talking about affordable housing for so long. And right now, Santa Cruz is the second most pricey well, you know place why? to live you in, know why? in America. No, you know I why? Don't, because don't. we have had we have had uh, fractions of the community push back. Um, people don't want change. You know what? That's one thing that has really irritated me. And, and I, I love that you brought that up and thank you because I, the, my perception being on the outside, obviously I don't have as much information as you do and I'm okay with that. But one thing that I know because I did grow up here mm. is that it's always been like that. Mm. And sooner or later, you will get engulfed by somebody that has more money, somebody that's smarter or whatever. And I feel like mm. that's what's starting to happen is that the, 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 the Santa Cruz community that has lived and grown up here have pushed back so much that people from the outside are coming in and they're just making decisions now. And I wish, you know, in the 90s mm -hmm. when Silicon Valley came up that this would have started transitioning then. That yeah. was the opportunity in the moment for us to transition together with the new outsiders coming in, mm -hmm. the new people that are coming into the community with the old generation community. We should have meshed together and been on that same trip the whole time. Yeah. Instead, it's like you said, we've been mm -hmm. bumping heads like this. It's not too late. 
it really is not too late. I mean, I really believe we can maintain the in integrity of our beautiful Santa Cruz. There's a reason why we're here. And there was so much that was done decades ago that was really important, right? We owe it to some of our old-time policymakers that we have Lighthouse Field and we have Pogonip and that rural North Coast and Bonnie Doon is rural. Those are really important things, and it's important for me to make sure those are maintained. But what got wrapped up in that was policies that are now outdated that don't allow us to grow in the way that is sustainable and that we want to grow. And so we are being slapped on the hand by state policy. I mean, a great example of that was a project that the city council had to approve because legally we couldn't say no. And it's not within the integrity of our community. It's, you know, it's right up against the neighborhood and it's, it's taller than that neighborhood wanted. So the more we say no to everything, the less control we have. Um, so it's, it's time to start to shape how we want to grow rather than kind of just push back and say no. I mean, to your point, exactly. That, I mean, you said the opportunity was in the 90s. I don't think it's too late. But we have this moment in time now, the next five years or so, and we got to make some changes. Otherwise, that ship will have really sailed, and we will, not, we will lose all levels of local control. Well, with that being said, what's your point of view on the situation? Do you, uh, are, are you uh, hopeful that, that it's, it's possible? Yeah. Do you think it's possible? Oh, yeah. How do you see your constituents and you know, the community when you're yeah. out there? Do you feel like that's a possible thing to happen? Absolutely. Yeah. When I knock on doors, um, the issues that come up the most are, homelessness, that's the number one, and housing. I mean, people are, you know, people who have parents who are aging and they can't live in a single family home, people who have uh, their kids who are coming back from college or just everyday workers, right? That the Santa Cruz kids don't ever move out, do they? <laughs> <laughs> I hope my boys don't know. I don't know. I know, me too. That's another, that's another podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How do we keep our kids here? Um, but yeah, so, uh, I think that there, it's absolutely possible. There is community will. There's, there's fear for change. But again, if we listen to each other and people feel heard and we know that we can do this um, in a responsible, incremental way, then we'll get there. Is there a type of constituent that you feel like is, is you know, uh, hard pressed for the change? Is, is, it, is it like the older community? Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, the di it's the diehard short wearing flip flop wearing <laughs> Santa Cruz people, right? It, it, you know. Uh, you you said it. I said it. Me. Yeah, no, I got it. I'll take it. I don't care. <laughs> um, yeah, it's old it's the older community. And yeah. I again I get it. That, because you know, back to a point I was making earlier, they have a commitment to this community. They love this community. So um, I don't look poorly on people who have that view. I totally get it. And I think um, I, I, I got it too. Like when I was 30, <laughs> yeah, you know what I yeah. mean? And that's what I mean. It's, it's kind of a scary thing. Like, yeah. I don't think I'm as optimistic as you are. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay. Like, it's almost like we have to wait for the meteor to hit and the dinosaurs to be extinct to really get this going. You know okay. what I mean? And mm -hmm. those are my words and I'm yeah. okay with it. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it just seems like there's, there's a lot of people in this community that are so scared of change that they'll yeah. wait it out for so long that by the time they're gone, the other people are okay. They're gone. 
Yeah. It's going to happen anyways. And it's going to happen. So let's have control of how right. it happens. So let me segue into this question because it's kind of, we're already talking about it, but how do you plan to involve residents mm -hmm. in the decision-making process in our city? Yeah, great, great question. So one of the things I've been working on on the city council um, we passed a, last year we passed a racial equity resolution, um, and it wasn't just to have a feel-good racial equity resolution. There were some very specific action steps within that. One well, of that was... Are we talking about the voting lines? Is no, 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 no. A whole different subject. A whole okay. different, yeah. Okay. One of the um, actions within that was to look at our commissions and committees, the city's commissions and committees, and what the makeup of it is, and how we do outreach, and how we engage the community. So that's one entry point of making sure that the diverse voices we have here in Santa Cruz are represented on our city commissions and committees that then advise what the city council is going to vote on, right? Like oftentimes they shape, it comes to, with, with staff, it comes to city council. So it's, it's it, we'll have a meeting, um, either the next city council meeting or the one after, we're going to report on the data. And I can just share with you, it's not representative of who our community is. So that's something that needs to change at the city and and i plan on carrying that work at the county now that's just one way right there's not everyone can get involved in that way um i think that having all kinds of avenues so that community members can have access to an elected official is really important whether that means going to their spaces to going to their um, when appropriate pta meetings or when appropriate their community senior center meetings, and then also hosting those types of town hall meetings. People um, in your position? Uh, yes, elected okay. officials. So, so doing both. Elected officials hosting town halls, elected officials going to the community, even if it's just with with like a house, someone's house, someone's living room, right? But just making sure there's many access points for community members to engage with you. Um, so I, I really strongly believe in that. Uh, Obviously, as a candidate, I've been talking to a lot of people and been doing a lot of meet and greets, and people say, God, and, and the conversations last night was a meet and greet, and it was it was less of a, what are you going to do about this problem, and more of a, an hour-long discussion around some of the very topics that we've been talking about, but it was like all of us together talking, and somebody was like, let's, do, you should do this. It felt good, yeah. You should continue to do this when you're a supervisor or if you continue on as a council member. And I 100% agree. Because again, I'm not shaping this on my own. It's got to be shaped with Together. the community. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Uh, let me see. I know I got a couple more questions in here. Oh, that's the wrong one. What's more important for our city right now? Building new homes and commercial space or rehabbing, expanding, better utilizing our existing homes and storefronts? And I think you already answered that. You said both. I said both, yeah. I mean, look, we can rehab and, and um, do infill housing with ADUs. And we, knew, we need to do that. And we need to make sure the city's done a better job of the county. The county needs a lot of work. We need to make sure that there aren't, there aren't so many red tapes and it's not so expensive to do that. But that's not going to fill the need that we have to meet. Um, so we also have to build new development. Now, we have, um, the state has a regional housing, um, RENA, regional housing number. I forget what it all stands for, but there's a RENA goal. And um, the city's new RENA goal is like over 3,000 new units. That's five times larger than our last. Same at the county. I believe it's about 3,000 new units in the unincorporated areas. So... If we don't meet those needs, 
we will get penalized by the state, right? So going back to like how we maintain our local control, we have to think about all in both ways of providing sufficient housing for the whole spectrum of our community. So, so if those goals aren't met and then we're penalized, like why does the state think that it works to, you know, fine us when we're doing our best and it really well, takes away? Because we haven't been doing our best, especially coastal communities. We have not been doing our best because of the pushback we were talking about earlier. Yeah. So I can see that up and down the state, it's pretty much all the same. It's not like a Santa Cruz doesn't want to change. It's like every coastal town doesn't yeah. want to change. And of course, it's connected to climate change and people are moving towards the coasts because we have better weather here. And right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything else you want to talk about? Or is there anything you want to bring up before we uh, get get done with this? Um. You know, I think one thing we didn't touch on is my commitment to children and youth. Let's talk about and, it. And um, that's a lot of the work I've done in the community. Is so you lit up a little bit when you started talking about that. Yeah. I like that. That's a great thing to light up about. It is a great thing. Um, and I was doing it before I was a mom. But, of course, as a, as a parent, you there's a different um, motivation and inspiration yeah. to make sure that our children and youth, that the decisions they make, are the healthy choices because we've created that environment for them, right? I've done that around alcohol outlet density. I've done that around cannabis regulations, um, childcare, making sure there's available childcare and youth homelessness, right? Um, juvenile justice reform. Word. Yeah, I've done like a lot that. of work on juvenile justice reform. We've seen a huge decrease on Latinx youth being incarcerated and going and, and their recidivism rates from some of the grants I've written, the work I've done. Um, in the city or the county? I, the county. Wonderful. Yeah. So really focusing on investing in our youth. Even if you don't have a child of your own, you're, every individual is connected to a child in some way. And um, the, the investment in young people, is it gives us so much more down the line, right? If we can make sure that they have opportunities to engage in healthy activities after school, if we can make sure that they have access to mental health treatment, that's, you know, the Surgeon General came out with a report a year ago, and it's a huge crisis that our teenagers are suffering with mental health um, challenges, and, and we're not meeting their needs, mm. right? So if, our, if in our local community, we can make sure we have stabilization beds, and we have, the, every student has access to a counselor, um, and then after school, they have a safe place to go to. And when they ride their bikes home from school, my two boys now ride their bikes to school and from school and to soccer practice. And, you know, that the, oh, they're, they're getting are, it done. They're getting it done, <laughs> yeah. But they're safe routes, right? We have safe bike lanes. So it's just the whole spectrum. And, and I have a lot of thoughts and ideas on how to implement that. But... That is something I spark at because it's we all benefit. If our youth are thriving, um, they're not our future. They're our right now, mm. and we all benefit. I've heard that one before, and I really like that, mm. actually. Um, and before we close out, Shabra, you know, we talked about it a little bit when you walked up, but I, I really want to extend a, a thank you to you. Because in 2020, I, I, I felt like I got knocked around a little bit in the political realm mm -hmm. and I got a little too emotionally invested into mm -hmm. it. And I realized that. And a few weeks ago, you reached out to me. <laughs> Sorry, I feel a little emotional yeah. about it. I don't know why. But yeah. you, you, you reached out to me and you, you talked about maybe coming on the podcast and I was kind of like not into it at all. Yeah. And ever since you, you text me, I just 
have not stopped thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're here today. I have Justin coming on in a little mm -hmm. while. Mm -hmm. I have uh, Yvette Brooks uh, from City uh, Capitola City Council coming this week. And next week, I have a gentleman named Mr. Dolo, Enrique Dol Dolmo, mm. that's running for Capitola City Council okay. as well. And, um, you know, I, I, I just want to thank you for kind of just reaching out. And, you know, you didn't push me or anything. We, we had a little back and forth. But it really, you know, I, I just want to extend that thank mm. you to you while we're on the podcast because it, it just really meant a lot to me that that you even reached out and thought about me to come back mm. on to mm -hmm. talk again. And it just, it really meant a lot. And I, mm. I thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Nativo. You know, um, our relationship does go way back and we've only reconnected. Yeah. Um, this is a hard space to be in. <sighs> very hard space to be in as an elected as a community member so i want to acknowledge you for giving it another try and holding space um i think it will benefit the community to hear what we have to say to these very complex issues and questions that you brought forward tonight and look i don't have all the right answers mm. um i can only share my experience and share my thoughts that i have culminated and put together from connecting with other people but it's important to go there, but it's hard to go there. So thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I talked to my buddy Tay Lyon, and and we had a long conversation one day. And he said, hey, look, dude, if you're going to be out in the public like this, you got to grow thicker skin. <laughs> you know what <laughs> like I like? Like immediately. You know what I say? People people tell me I have to grow thick skin. Yeah. But who wants to have alligator skin? So what <laughs> I've developed, I have developed a glittery rainbow shield <laughs> that protects me but emits glitter and rainbow i don't know if that's gonna work for me as well okay but well <laughs> i'll give it a try hey listen uh uh last season and this season i collaborated with my buddy alejandro and he is a character artist hmm. and everybody that comes on the show gets their own character oh and this <laughs> this is you shebra oh and my god this is from me and Alejandro, and it's also a, a thanks for everything that you've oh, done for our community goodness. and all the work that you've put in. So, you know, from me and Alejandro, we just want to thank you. Nativo, I'm going to cry now. <laughs> this is so cool. Thank you. And yeah. I, I would love Alejandro's contact information. Oh, yeah. Thank no no problem. I, yeah, I'll, I'll link that up. This if you want to so hold good. it up for the camera right here. Oh, my here. God. This is so good. <laughs> Looks like me, right? He's so good at it, and I love giving these That's away. Rad. It's the reactions that 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 make it all, you know, That's the, the so greatest good. part of everything, right? Oh, thank you. You're very welcome. Um, can you tell uh, the community members, your constituents, where they can reach you? Absolutely. You can reach me. My website is shebra.org, S-H-E-B-R-E-H.org. And you can find my email there, but it's shebra4, the number four, santacruz at gmail.com. And I typically respond within 24 hours. So um, if these questions and our conversation incited further thoughts or questions from you, please reach out. Oh, I would love to engage go. with you. There you go, sir. Um, now or after the election, I'm here. Right on. Thank you so much for coming in again. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. I'm your host, Nativo Gonzalez, reminding you to be cool and spread love. Thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. We will see you next time. Mm -hmm.